tetragrammaton. for kids. I always remember that scene in Big where Tom Hanks is like at the FAO Schwartz and he's just kind of messing around. He sees another kid and he's like, you know, immediately like, uh, my name, my name's Billy. What's yours? Like, that's how quickly they become friends. Mm -hmm. And sometimes wishing that like sometimes meeting somebody and feeling like, I feel like I'd be friends with this person but we can't quite get through uh, because we're sort of, um, you know, we're kind of playing these roles and we're in this situation. We're not really going to get to um, connect. Um, I wish we could do it without talking. Uh, yeah, without talking. Or I guess I also get the feeling of being judged. Like it's immediately a little bit of... Um, okay, well, if any, most spiritual programs talk about being in the moment, that's kind of the key to, um, you know, enjoying life or feeling good. And it's hard to be in the moment if while we're talking, it can come into my mind, someone's going to listen to this later yeah. and judge it, yeah. <laughs> you know, the same way I might judge something that I'm listening to. Yeah. And when you get that, that's the, the thing that probably, you know, when I begin this makes me a bit inhibited all, always when you start. And then you probably you relax and you kind of time. forget about it. Yeah. And it would be nice to get to a place where you don't really care. Uh, I've been doing this every day for the last 12 days. And today is the first time I'm nervous. Uh, but yeah. I think it's because I feel your energy. And that we didn't really agree to do this. No, I no, 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 of, I know. I kind of said... I believe your words were no chance. <laughs> that I wasn't going <laughs> to do it. And even this morning, um, I thought when you said, you know, you're coming over to get me, that we were going for a walk. And then we started driving. And as soon as I realized where we were driving, I kind of knew what was happening, that it was a little bit of a okay, kidnapping. Yeah, that we're going to do uh, this. And um, yeah, and, um, you know, here we, here we are. I guess it's the same, though, like in your job when there are cameras there. Now you're used to there being cameras. And yeah. I imagine in the beginning when there's a camera there, it's weird that there's a camera. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, for some reason I was lucky it didn't make me nervous. That's I great. wasn't that aware of it. In fact, uh, when I got that Lasix, when I got my eyes fixed, one of the things that I was nervous about was that what I thought that, like, okay, because anytime I was kind of acting, um, I couldn't see the expressions of like the camera guy or the crew or anything. And so um, I felt that kind of helped me for kind of what we're talking about, that I felt more relaxed. And when I was going to get Lasix, one of the things that I was a little bit thinking about, I was like, oh, I wonder if now being able to sort of see people's expressions, if that's going to make it a little bit trickier for me. But it didn't make 
the slightest difference, even though I could, I didn't notice, I guess, because I was lucky that, uh, yeah, I, I have, a, I had, uh, I was able to kind of tune that stuff out or I just didn't notice it because I was kind of absorbed in it. Do you ever perform specifically for the crew? Um, I mean, like I'll kind of joke about that with Luke sometimes. Something will get a laugh from the crew, and you can't help feeling like, okay, okay well, we we kind of did something, <laughs> and then later it didn't mean anything, you know, when you see the movie. Because sometimes what can get a laugh is just something that's different. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's read the script a million times, so all of a sudden you say something new, and just the fact that it's different. Or it's it can be sort of a tense feeling or, you know, uncomfortable sometimes on set. So anything that kind of breaks that tension, people look for that sort of release of laughing. And you can think, or it can also definitely happen. I've found like the few times where I've, you know, where the, you know, the scene, you're supposed to get emotional. Anytime you sort of get emotional, people... I think it's just kind of a human instinct when you see somebody else kind of cry a little bit to sort of want to go over and comfort them. So somebody will come over afterwards and say, that, that was amazing. And you can't help thinking like, well, that, that must have been pretty powerful. And then you realize everyone, you know, it's not yeah. that. You've seen a million people cry in movies and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the scene is you know, any better. It really comes down to, right, just if, if the situation in a scene um, is, you know, connects with people like in, a, in an emotional way, like, um, you know, like in, in Marley and Me, I remember talking to Josh afterwards and he said it was like a horror movie for him seeing, you know, the dog, um, you know, at the end kind of getting put down and so that's that that's a scene that everyone kind of feels so yeah people get emotional and it was you know it wasn't hard for me to get emotional in that either how has your relationship to doing it changed from bottle rocket to now um i i don't know that it has changed that much i I remember on Bottle Rocket, you know, they they show dailies, you know, when you're making a movie, then, you know, to make sure stuff's in focus. So the crew uh, or, you know, the heads of the department will watch stuff. And so I wasn't aware of this because Bottle Rocket was the first movie, but I was aware because that they did the dailies because the next day, David Wasco was the pr production designer and a couple other people said that was great the stuff and I could tell by their energy that they felt we were doing a good job and that gave me a lot of confidence uh, to kind of continue but back to that sort of the thing with the Lasix I just even though I you know I, I'm not like uh, I'm a nervous public speaker I was not ever nervous doing that stuff you yeah. think because you were doing it with friends uh i think you know i'm sure that helped but i think you know i've certainly done it you know a lot of times with you know people that i didn't know as well as i knew you know wes and luke and everybody uh, it's feeling a little bit uh, that i'm in control 
I guess that's what it is because I kind of know, you kind of know the script and you kind of know how in my mind how the scene's going to feel. So I feel like I'm kind of in kind of um, control of it and can kind of, uh, uh, you know, and feel free enough to kind of also come up with different things. Uh, so you think if there was that. no script, it would be much harder to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's why I think to do like one of those, you know, improv type things. I, I Like people will say, oh, like you improvise a lot. I, you know, very rarely will just in the spot come up with something that never occurred to me. Sometimes you do. But most of the time, it's, you know, something that you've kind of thought of before, like, you know, this line could work or this could maybe uh, be something good, a good direction for the scene uh, to go in. Uh, yeah. When, you, when you're reading a script in the beginning, are you right away thinking about potential lines? Like the lines come right from the beginning or is it more once you're um involved in the project well i i really don't judge a script you know based on the you know the words on the page really? per se yeah. it's more yes. sort of the feel yeah. uh you know the sort of the weight <laughs> of it but um no the um i i well when you asked that question it made me uh think of a lot of times I don't read scripts that I think are that good that I could still end up working on, you know, where mm -hmm. it's very rare that I've read a script that I think I can read like a book from start to finish and think it's great. So most of the time it's like, yeah, maybe that could work or this, but I think the fact that I don't think it's necessarily that great gives me sort of confidence like oh i can maybe make this better or i have ideas it's a little bit like uh sometimes i felt i did better with teachers in school that i wasn't you know intimidated by you know there there would be a teacher that you know everybody kind of loved or uh was kind of scared of and you know had a real history with the school and i could get sort of nervous and inhibited around that teacher and not really be myself which in, in a way is kind of why sometimes I, I i i did letterman maybe a couple times but i just got too uh nervous even though he was always really you know i always you know did fine uh but it was it was less stressful uh to go on another talk show uh maybe just because i you know admired him yeah, it sounds like for you, less stress works. And I know for some people, it's the exact opposite, which is odd because I'm much more like you as well. I like knowing that the stakes are low, yeah. we're having fun, whatever happens, it's all good. Yeah. And then when something good happens, you're pleasantly surprised, you know? Yeah. But yeah. there are some people who like the feeling like this is the big day and it's all on the line today and i have to show up for the team today today yeah. is that it's game day yeah it's uh, which is a very different headspace i can't i can't imagine it yeah I, I even as you're saying it 
it, the times where I've there'll maybe be sort of a scene looming in something or even you know meeting somebody where you're you've put you've put a lot of uh, thought into it and you've really kind of worked it over in your mind and I find I don't do well when I've done that that it just kind of I feel kind of constricted and I do much better when I just sort of not have a feeling of uh, not caring, but uh, yeah, where the stakes don't really aren't that you know big one way or the other. I do better, you know, definitely like that. It's I just feel one of the things looser. that I, I've noticed watching movies you've been in is when it seems like the actors around you really care about it, and you don't. <laughs> it really works. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when you were kind of describing that, everyone being real into it, part of me it starts to go kind of the other way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe just kind of resisting um, having it seem too obvious, I guess. You know, if, it, if it's everyone's expecting it to be this way, I don't. I find something in me resists wanting to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, so, have yeah. Ever, the, have uh, you ever been in a scene with someone where the, where the acting is so good that on their part that you believe it's happening? Like, can you get lost in the moment? Yeah, definitely. I think you can get kind of lost in the moment, not where you feel... Um, you know, I remember reading an interview with Forrest Whitaker where they asked him about, you know, who's the best actor you've ever worked with or the best, you know, sort of acting you've ever seen. And he said, well, I don't know if this, this person's the best actor that I've ever worked with, but, you know, one of the most memorable things was when I was working with Mickey Rourke and um, he was talking about this movie where he plays a plastic surgeon and Mickey Rourke is kind of disfigured and is sent to kind of see him and he kind of reconstructs his face. So he looks all of a sudden, he kind of comes out and he's now like Mickey Rourke. I think the movie is called Johnny Handsome. But anyway, uh, they come out of the hospital and Farce Whitaker is going to say goodbye to Mickey Rourke. And Mickey Rourke had a page of dialogue saying how meaningful this is what the doctor had done for him kind of now that he can sort of step into the world and not look like a freak and how grateful he is and all these things uh like that and Forrest Whitaker said they yelled action and they come out and Mickey looks at him and he didn't say anything, but Forrest Whitaker said, I heard every single line yeah. from the script that he was supposed to say. Yeah. He didn't say anything. Yeah. He just looked at me. And that was really incredible. And the way he kind of told that story or me reading the story, that always sticks in my mind where I almost feel like I've experienced that too. But I think that's the great thing about a great story like that. You do feel it. So I can imagine that, that 
somebody could do something, you know, in kind of an original way like that. And I completely believe that happened. And, um, and that seems great. Yeah, I just read Quentin Tarantino's new book, and he talks about uh, Steve McQueen and how he would just go through scripts and cross out all of his own lines. And just like, what's the very least he could say? Yeah. And it seemed like the less he said, the more believable it was. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, like when I think when they were, you know, kind of getting him to do the Magnificent Seven, you know, the big role was Yul Brenner and... Um, but they said to Steve McQueen, the director, you know, don't worry, we're going to give you the camera. Um, uh, you're not going to have like a lot of lines and you do watch that movie. And I guess it, it started to kind of irritate Yul Brenner, but anytime, you know, he's kind of delivering one of his, um, you know, soliloquies, you know, Steve McQueen would be kind of, you know, loading his gun or looking at it, you know, uh, doing some business. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't get that at all. Sometimes, you know, that's a cliche you'll hear about actors counting their lines or, like, you know, threatened if, you know, some of the, uh, you know, lines get cut. And I'm, I feel like I'm always pretty happy to have um, less lines. Um but, um, you know, also talking about that, uh, that made me think of this great story in the, uh, in the John Ford documentary that Peter Bogdanovich did, where John Ford is doing a Western, and he's doing a scene with Richard Widmark and uh, Jimmy Stewart, and n neither of those guys had ever worked together here's their first day and they're doing a big scene kind of sitting by the side of the river and right before the scene jimmy stewart said that john ford came up to him and he's like watch watch widmark he knows every trick in the book and then apparently john ford had gone to richard widmark and say be careful with stewart he's a good country actor <laughs> <laughs> so both of those guys be careful kind of Watch had out. that and then they show the scene in the movie i've never seen the movie i've just seen this scene and it's one of the greatest scenes ever because you feel like it it plays like in one shot and you see all of that kind of happening when widmark starts talking jimmy stewart is rolling a cigarette when jimmy stewart starts to say something widmark's doing something and by the end of the scene they're kind of smiling at each other like look at this old boy what's he up to <laughs> and that's exactly what the scene was supposed to be and it's just incredible so in in uh you, that idea of doing having bits of business to do so when you're acting you're not just standing there you're doing something because as people we do stuff all the time and um inconsequential actions yeah. and um if you do that you've been doing this for a long time does it ever bleed over into life where now you find yourself doing inconsequential actions because that's what you you know you do it so much in work does it ever bleed out into life yeah, I mean, because a lot of conversations in real life are fake. <laughs> and uh, so whether it's something just to kind of 
entertain yourself in the scene <laughs> that you're, <laughs> you know, doing, you might be doing something. And then every once in a while, you'll come across a person that they get, you know, like the Richard Widmark, Jimmy Stewart, where it's like the person like, oh, it's okay, he's doing a bit like, and they get a kick out of it, or you see what they're doing. And that can be the basis for a friendship or certainly yeah, so you someone. Could have, you could have a whole another storyline going on in real life in addition to what's on the surface. I feel like I do a lot yeah, of times. Yeah. I, 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 given that kind of example that yeah. I sometimes feel like it's like invisible ink and that I'm talking, you know, <laughs> a lot in life and I'm saying the stuff to people that works in the scene, you know, of this. But if that person happens to have that pen and <laughs> is able to draw, they are, they can pick up on some of this other stuff and get a kick out of it. That's so great. it can work in, you know, both ways. And, and then I'll also, um, I'll sometimes see that with somebody else. It's almost like a feeling of, uh, you know, that you, that, that, uh, that you get from a person that it's all like kind of, you know, it's all kind of uh, make-believe, you know, or that it's all kind of a little bit sometimes an act. Uh, or maybe, you know, that it's, uh, I, I saw now you'll see, you know, sometimes, um, you know, bumper sticker thing or, you know, sticker, you know, on somebody's water bottle, relax, it's just a dream. It's, you know, so I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, no, nothing means anything, but the idea that it, it, I think that that can be kind of a nice idea. Uh, the idea that it isn't so important. Yeah, or not uh, so serious, not, not to take so anything serious. so seriously. Yeah. And the, th the thing he said before about um, after the first day of shooting at Bottle Rocket, and hearing about the result of seeing the dailies. Yeah. The, the person who came, you said they, they had this energy about them. And that's an interesting thing to talk about because energy energy feels authentic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can hear people who say words that are the words that they think you want to hear. Oh, yeah. And it's completely different than when someone comes in with good energy. Yeah. Yeah, because I still remember the way David Wasco looked when he came up to me, uh, you know, in the lobby of the hotel that, uh, you know, that day. And it just, you, I just believed him when he said it seemed really uh, great what he had seen and it's going to work. Uh, that was, uh, I, I just, you, you could feel it. And uh, yeah, and um it's funny, you know, I, I know, you know, my dad was in kind of advertising. And so, um, I'm definitely, if, if, if somebody asked me about something that they've worked on, I'm going to, uh, you know, if they're, if it's too late to change it, I'm going to try just to be like, I, I think it was great. I think you did a good job. I'm going to try to make the person feel good. Uh, and there are people, you're maybe a bit more like this where you won't, really try to sell the person on that they did well uh and and i think most people are kind of a bit more like yeah that that was great uh but there's it's nice when you can really of course believe when the person did do great 
And then there's some people that probably just have kind of like an energy that's kind of, uh, whether it's convincing or not, it, it just feels good and, and you don't just don't mind uh, hearing what they have to say. How different is it working with um, different directors? You work with so many different directors. How different is the experience from director to director? It's not that different, I find. Um, and it's not that different even like on a commercial. Um, it ends up being kind of the same sort of feeling where you're both trying to come up with something good. And, uh, and I find that, that the... The few times in my life that I have not had a good time doing something is because, and it's, it's only happened like a couple times, is because I have not been able to get to the place where I've been able to sort of uh, hypnotize myself into thinking this is good. And and when I've gone like a whole, you know, thing, never getting to that place, that's really discouraging. And that means you're going to work every day or you're just feeling like well, that doesn't work. And that's a terrible feeling uh, because when you're there, you want it to work or I do. Uh, and so it, it's usually that kind of feeling that you're sort of looking for their expression, you know, like I got from David Wasco that day of kind of energized or enjoying something or moved and 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 you kind of feel it uh, also and so uh when you can usually and and obviously i've worked on a million things that didn't work out but in in the moment when we were doing it we we thought we were this this could be pretty good is it difficult to memorize lines um that's funny that's something that i always find people you know sometimes people say i could never do uh, what, what you do, uh, and I'm always thinking, I'm sure you could do it very easily. Uh, and they'll always say like, yeah, I don't even know how you memorize the lines. Well, first of all, you're maybe doing a page or two pages or three pages a day. So that's very easy. It's not like a play where you've got the whole thing memorized. Uh, and it's not like you're memorizing gibberish, <laughs> you know, a sequence of numbers. It's you're memorizing the way something's going to go. You're going to ask me like, you know, uh, did you see the lifeguard stand down near the point? And I'm going to say, yeah, it was weird. You could tell that the, that the waves had come up almost to it. it it's going to be a conversation that should make sense in your mind. Otherwise, it, you're not going to be able to do it anyway. It, and if it doesn't make sense, then you got to talk to somebody about figuring out why it doesn't make sense so they can explain it to you uh, because uh, you, you got to be, you got to have it, you know, make sense in your mind what you're saying. Every single thing that you're saying has got to sort of, okay, yeah, I know why I'm saying this or why I'm asking that. So it ends up being a little bit, um, you know, you're just I, telling I think it's the pretty story. Easy. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty uh easy and if you know the way the story goes even if you don't get the exact line uh you know what's gonna where the story ends where you got to get to so you kind of hopefully can say something to kind of edge it along it's a funny example you gave of the water coming up over the lifeguard stand because uh 
I remember you and I body surfing probably 20, 20 years ago in um, Manhattan Beach. And the waves were big that day. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> we were out there. And the last thing that you said to me was, because the waves were starting to come over the pier. They were really big. And the last thing you said to me, if the waves keep building, I think we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and then you were gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was over at um, Venice? No, Manhattan Beach, I think, further south. Further. Because it was the Manhattan Beach Pier. Yeah. Um, or is it Venice? Is it the Venice Pier? Yeah, that's the Venice where Washington kind of yeah. runs in. It was uh, terrifying. Yeah. Uh, well, that's also, you know, uh, the, you know, if you've swum in the ocean much, mo you, you do, you know, sometimes get, uh, especially, you know, in Hawaii, or, but even out here, that feeling where everything's good, everything's nice, and then it's not. And, yeah. uh, and you can get uh, scared. And I know they always say, you know, the big thing is don't panic, you know, that that uses a lot of oxygen, but as soon as you get scared, you, you panic. I don't know how you can contain that, um, but um, I had that happening the inner dialogue because I was being I was being drowned, being held under by the waves. I couldn't breathe, and I'm panicking. And I'm the conversation I'm having with myself is no reason to panic. Panicking's bad. Panicking's just right. going to use up oxygen, and yeah. I'm drowning. And as I'm drowning, I'm panicking. So I can't, you can't turn it off, really. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, um, where was that? Same, that same day. That same day? Yeah. God. That same day, I got held under. We, I don't know if we even ever talked about it. I was right in the drop zone of the big waves, and I was completely trapped, and I got held under, and then washing machined and then as soon as i came up for a breath i, I thought you were waving wave. but you you were drowning <laughs> <laughs> i was looking out and i was waving with both hands back at you <laughs> i thought oh there's rick just larking about <laughs> it was the worst it was i remember crawling onto the sand eventually yeah and just laying there out of breath and and eventually a lifeguard came over to me there was nobody on the beach that day and a lifeguard eventually came over and it's like my friend i think he's out there and they're like no he was smart enough to swim out and swim around he's fine like, yeah thanks <laughs> yeah the well i've had that feeling yeah the first time i went to hawaii it was Kauai, and um uh, probably like 28 and and like yeah getting caught in the surf or couldn't get back in and my friend running along the beach and he was having to sprint to keep up with how fast it was pulling me down and it wouldn't let me out past where the waves were breaking or where i could like get my feet down and it i just felt like I, i'm i'm drowning and it's so scary it's so scary and i remember getting where i was like i i just don't have any more energy to keep going under the waves holding my breath and i'm just gonna let it kind of hit me and i barely got sort of my feet kind of touched and then pulled me out again but i was able to kind of get in and there were two local guys that came running down 
And they, I remember them saying, uh, bro, there's people way stupider than you that have drowned on this beach this year. Wow. They said something like that. But I remember just sitting, you know, on the sand before they kind of got to me. And it was almost like kind of like not quite crying, but like it was like an emotional feeling of just being spent and feeling that you came close. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so we both have had these experiences of, we felt kind of scared, like, whoa, you know, whether we really were close to actually drowning, I don't know, but it felt like, <laughs> you know, I felt like I could have, and, and you, uh, were, uh, shaken, and that certainly didn't keep me from swimming in the ocean probably the next day. Yeah, and, same. And, and uh, I also got hit in the face with a surfboard and yeah. my nose was all bloody. And like, I've, I've had a, a bunch of stuff happen in the ocean, but I just love it. Yeah, I had a board hit me in Maui uh, and it was my own board uh, where I kind of jumped off the back of the wave and went under. And when I came back, my board had blown up in the air. It was blowing so hard and came down just as I was coming up. And I had to get a bunch of stitches, but right. But that, that wouldn't, you would think like, well, that might keep somebody, uh, from doing something. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, it, it, you know, I just love it. Uh, so, and it also made, even my made, older brother being, you know, bit by a shark right in front oh, of, I didn't uh, know that. When yeah. did that happen? Andrew got bit by like a six foot black tipped reef shark. Wow. And he's in the database for shark attacks. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, he, uh, and that's right in front of, uh, where I live there on Maui and, he doesn't swim out there anymore. He still swims in the ocean, but he doesn't go out there. But I've, you know, I still go out there. And uh, I also kind of feel, you know, now whether I would feel this in the moment, hopefully I could get to a place uh, if you ever did get in a situation where you're like, oh, that, that's it. I've kind of do have that feeling of I love the ocean so much that if that was sort of my karma, which I don't think it is, but that's where I'm going to sort of, you know, that'll be kind of it for me. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. Remember the night that you came over like two o'clock in the morning after seeing the luminescence for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like we're like we're we're trying to figure out like how could you know or wondering like it's you know thinking that it's kind of funny to continue doing something that you've had, you know, maybe a near death experience. But now we're bringing up something that well, that's exactly why. Because uh, one time I went swimming and I'd never heard about these phosphorescence in the water, so I go down for what I think is just kind of a. You know, I'm just going to jump in the water. It's nighttime. And I jump in, and all of a sudden, it's lighting up. And It's in the middle of the night in the dark. The whole ocean is lighting up every with every wave. Not with every, every time I'd move my arms, ah. every time I open my eyes. And just when I, you know, swim, it lights up underwater. And 
never heard of it. No one had ever told me about it. So then uh, I came up afterwards and I looked like, you know, I'm sure like kind of like somebody almost like, you know, possessed or that had, you know, seen God. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, it, it just seemed like an unbelievable miracle I had experienced. And then, uh, yeah, found out that I guess that can happen, you know, uh, sometimes in the water where there's phosphorescence kind of light up. But uh, if you've never experienced that, uh, it is, I think, one of the most incredible things. Uh, I think not knowing about it was the best part of your yeah. experience. Because when I told you what it was, you were not happy. Well, it was a little bit like, yeah, I thought I had experienced a miracle. And you were saying, well, no, let me show you how this trick is done. It's this. And so <laughs> it's a little bit of... Uh, Important dumping know, water on it. Yeah, kind of, uh, yeah, letting the air out of the balloon. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's probably also kind of... I'm not somebody that, you know, when somebody does like kind of a magic trick where I want to figure it out, I have zero interest in figuring out. I want it to feel like magic and uh, to feel incredible. And that's what I want to go with. I don't want to, you know, later. Well, how do you think he did that? You know, uh, that doesn't interest me. It's so much better not to know. Yeah. Feeling the mystery. But also, you know, phosphorescence. So that's something incredible that uh, you can experience in nature. And I feel like even though I grew up in the suburbs in Dallas, a lot of being a kid was kind of riding your bike around the neighborhood, going down, you know, to the creek, kind of just looking around for adventure, or kind of mischief or something kind of exciting. And your whole life is kind of the daytime. And then as you become a uh, teenager, you kind of start to see kind of the, the mystery and the excitement of night, and you kind of enter into that. And Ford, um, my 12-year-old, I was dropping him off for this, you know, Halloween thing at his school, and it was in the evening. And I kind of walked him in, and you and his friends were running around, and the girls were there, and they're, you know, they're starting to have kind of crushes and stuff, and you could kind of feel this energy, and it was like, okay, he's kind of entering into kind of, you know, that the night can kind of be unbelievable, and I feel now I'm coming out of the night. I spent a long time, you know, in the night uh and now i'm kind of going back more towards yeah, it's a little bit like when you're you know a kid where i like me even being up early in the morning which i never liked and it also kind of gives me a good feeling that like it's going to be kind of it's great being back in the day uh and being into that it's great yeah i'm same same as you from the time that i was making choices on my own yeah i lived in the night yeah and um and that switch to waking up in the morning and changing my hours has been the the greatest change of all in my life and and no one could have told you that no. like you know when we first became friends you'd stay up till you know four or five and you'd sleep till you know one yeah. uh and it was you know about you know trying to sleep is through as much of the day so you could get back to the night yeah, as you could yeah. and 
and I could have, you know. Light it up all night and never go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I could have, or someone could have said, oh, you're missing. Because I even remember people saying, yeah, if you don't get up, you know, uh, in the morning, you're missing the best part of the day. You Just no way you could get me to believe that. And, um, and I don't know, then all of a sudden it just kind of flips again. Um, Are we but, even the same people? Are we even the same, you know? Yeah, I guess because I feel like it's a little bit of a return to how, in my case, I was as a kid, where mm -hmm. I feel I did notice nature. Like, as a kid, you're just kind of more, you know, you're kind of taking things in, and you, you pay more attention to stuff. Um, and, you know, you're just... Because I think you're really looking at you're trying your neighbor. To figure it out. You're trying to figure it out, and you're looking for uh, some sort of kind of adventure or something, you know, fun to do. So everything you're looking at, you're looking at sort of okay, well, could that be an opportunity to do something like climb that tree? And I wonder if we could like tie a rope to this tree, and uh, you know. What about like these, like the bluffs here over this creek? I wonder if we could like climb up. Like you're just kind of looking, uh, or even just going down alleys and stuff, uh, looking for stuff. And then now I notice a lot kind of just walking the dog, like in the morning. It's like I've lived in this, you know, for over 25 years, and I'm just now noticing some of these trees in the neighborhood. Now you could take that as like a sad story like god he's lived here so long he's never see it i don't take it that way i take it as an exciting thing like how much other great stuff have i been missing you know that's out there that i'm going to start discovering or seeing because of course that's you know one of the best feelings you can have is that you saw something you know great uh and the idea that there, there's more great things to to see there's uh, something really great about it always being there and being right under your nose the whole time and discovering it, you know, like you just found something. It's, it's so yeah. cool because it's the fact that it's been there makes it much more interesting. Right. I got like, I also have this app that, um, you know, this picture, this, it'll tell you like what the tree is and stuff. So that's kind of gotten me a little bit more, you know, well, I'll try to get the names, but I, the, I was thinking about a tree down the street from me that I've found out since is called a pearl acacia, but it is the greatest tree that I've ever seen. Uh, it was kind of blooming these kind of, you know, um, I, I don't even want to try to describe it. Uh, it's just great the way it looks and like it kind of is like a little bit silver, uh, the tree, but it's, you know, without getting like too sort of cosmic, when I first saw it, it was sort of moving. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. like, this tree is incredible. And, uh, you know, there, it made me think, uh, you know, then and probably now as I'm telling it, you know, there's that E.B. White uh, story, the second tree from the corner. Uh, where the story begins where the guy's talking with his therapist and uh, the therapist says, well, what do you want? What what makes you happy? And and the guy's like, I, I don't know. I guess no one really knows. And the 
doctors like, well, of, of course people know. Like for me, it's I want to build, you know, I'm building an extension to my house. And, you know, and then the, the patient feels a little bit like, you know, insecure that he can't really say. And then later when he's walking home, he sees this tree and the way it's lit, you know, by the street light, it just, and it's a great description in the story, it looks so perfect and beautiful he realizes that's what he wants, the second tree from the corner, and that he's glad that he's, you know, can't really explain to someone what it is he wants uh, or what would make him happy. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just I always like that story. But seeing that tree, I could definitely feel, you know, that, uh, like that, tree is incredible and it's great to be standing here um you know uh appreciating it i'm so happy that i found it and uh you know this also kind of about uh talking about trees that um yeah luke was telling me about reading about de kooning a uh in I guess maybe in his biography he was going to be you know honored back in the Netherlands and he'd kind of left when he was young didn't feel he fit in and you know he's going to be returning to get some award and he was a little bit nervous because he hadn't felt that he really fit in when he lived there and was talking to his brother saying like I I, I don't know if I'm how I feel about coming back I, I don't feel that I you know that people really got me um, there. And I mean, I, I'm odd. Like, do, do they understand that, you know, I, I'm strange. I talk to trees <laughs> and, uh, I really like that story. Cause so cool. yeah. Cause you can, I, I haven't gotten to the point of talking to the trees, but I, I could see that maybe, you know, next year. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great when you're walking down, uh, or you're walking through a forest and, and there are many trees around how certain trees just like, I'm not going to say they talk to you, but they call attention to themselves in a way that this tree is different than all the other trees. Like it just, pu it pulls you in yeah. like the tree that you just described. Yeah. And it's like, it really, yeah, it, it is kind of a, this old boy here is, yeah. he's really, in, it's in, like In great. Costa Rica, there are these big, big, huge trees that are covered in spikes. I've never seen a big tree covered in spikes before. And yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah. What do you mean spikes? Like little, almost like um, what would be on a rose bush, except all right next to each other, all over the tree. And a big tree like... Um, you know, like a big oak tree. So you're not going to climb it. No, you can't. It's covered in spikes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's a protection yeah. for animals not to get to yeah. go up it. The, uh, yeah, I remember being in India, and I was like, there's you, you don't see any real vegetation because everything gets kind of used up as like kind of a, you know, a resource for something. And the only stuff it seems like that would still be standing would have to have like incredible spikes on it. Um, it's yeah, as a way to kind of protect it. But uh, yeah, I still sort of sometimes will kind of look at trees in terms of, yeah, would that be a good climbing tree?
I remember when I was in um, in school studying art and seeing um, French um, impressionist paintings and the way the the trees looked in the paintings where it it was a series of colors like there'd be a brown background but then there'd be a big splotch of yellow and there'd be a big splotch of like um more of a mustard or a big splotch of kind of orange and i was thinking at the time um living in new york and seeing those trees in the paintings that oh that's part of the abstraction yeah. is like making like these color these blotches of color give an impression of what trees look like but it's not accurate to the tree and that's part of this style of art yeah and i thought that until i went to the to, to south of france and i saw the trees with the blotches <laughs> on them in person it's like oh they're actually exactly it's like a photograph yeah. of these trees yeah. but because i'd never seen a tree like that in real life i thought it was you know poetic uh poetic painting yeah the uh I didn't realize you like, did you major in art? I was a film and television major, but I took a lot of art classes. But I do kind of remember um, that, you know, the, the, was it your, your, your mom's sister was the one who would kind of take you to museums and, um, and that. And um, it's funny, you know, what do you think it is about, uh, art that does make people feel kind of a, a little bit nervous to talk about it uh i guess because you don't want to sound pretentious um that's it but but it it's too bad that we have that uh feeling uh you know but it, it can be pretty strong i guess also in the idea that you, you you know that you don't know necessarily what you're talking about uh and so that can kind of inhibit. Well, why would it be uh, any different than talking about a tree? I don't know. I think people feel that they're sort of their, you know, uh, their street cred as a culturally literate person is kind of on the line uh, in a way with, with, you know, paintings that doesn't happen uh, with trees. But it shouldn't be. I'm just saying that's just something that you know happens it would be it's a great feeling to sort of fight through and not to have just to be able to walk in a museum and i'm as you know equipped as anybody to talk about this painting or not talk about it but appreciate it or you know have a reaction to it i can't remember if i ever told you this story but i did this thing in new york where we brought a whole bunch of people um that i was working with in music to um uh, MoMA and and I remember it was a, a lot of like people in their 20s and there were you know hundreds on, on the staff of this company and we all went to MoMA and I thought people who were working in music to re-engage with um, fine art would be a good thing it'd be a good thing for everybody to just like tune into that yeah and i remember f the feeling of the blankness on on the faces of a lot of the people and feeling like oh wow this was really maybe not a good idea yeah and um and i got on an elevator with one of the people who seemed completely 
bored <laughs> and uh, we get on the elevator and we're riding and he looked at me and he said, you know, I really want to thank you for setting this up. I haven't been in the museum since I was, you know, um, 12 years old and it's amazing. And I'm going to bring my whole family back this weekend. I, it's, it's blowing my mind. And I hadn't, I just read it completely, completely wrong because wrong. they had this blank look on their face, you know? That's kind of, I put that, you know, that you completely misread yeah. that person. Yeah. And that's like, you know, not having noticed the tree down the street. Like, it can, I think that's kind of a, a, a good thing to sort of keep in mind is that you can sometimes completely misread things and it's not... Uh, you know, the sort of maybe negative take you have on it. Uh, in that case, like I, it, I had something where I was working um, on a movie and in the scene, my character is with his wife and we're kind of these kind of, you know, kind of this kind of white trash couple. And we're going to go into, uh, we've stolen some money and now we're going into uh, into the mall to buy some stuff and we're going to buy, you know, kind of, you know, ridiculous kind of things. Uh, and the director is pitching lines uh, and he pitches, um, yeah, you can uh, say, and we're gonna, honey, we're gonna buy it. We're gonna get you some braces to fix those horse teeth of yours. And, it, and when he said it, I, I, I felt terrible because the actress playing my wife in the scene, she did kind of have you know, her teeth did look a bit, uh, you know, slightly off, you know, and, and I was so embarrassed and I could feel her flinch when he said that. And of course, I didn't say it in the scene. And then afterwards, and the guy, the director is a really nice guy, but I went up to him afterwards and I said, you know, please don't ever put me in a position like that of saying something. I, I, I'm not going to say something to someone, you know, kind of mean uh, like that. You might think it's funny, but I, I don't. And uh, even for these characters, and he, and, and he was like, I, 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 oh, yeah, yes, yeah, I, I understand completely. I'm so sorry. Like, do, do you know those are fake teeth that we put on her? And I didn't know. <laughs> that <laughs> she had fake teeth uh, that they had put on. I see. And so when I imagined her flinching, that's what it was. I was imagining that. And, uh, and if that does kind of happen with us, that might be a nice way you can sort of, you know, when you do have the feeling, oh, somebody doesn't like this or somebody, then oh, you just... You could be wrong. You could be completely wrong about it. And if you could be completely wrong, why not go with the good story? Yeah. Yeah, we never know. We never know what anyone yeah. else is thinking. Yeah. And, yeah, but, but yeah, I have a tendency to go more sort of, you know, thinking, you know, uh, you know, right. Yeah. We don't know. The story about the... Um the extension on the house. Yeah. It's interesting because in, um, you know, the Clint Eastwood movie, uh, Unforgiven, the, the, his foil, I can't remember the name of the character, um, who's playing against Cliff, uh, who's playing against Clint. And, but it's Gene Hackman's character. Yeah. And 
Clint's about to kill him and he's like, but I was building an extension on my house. Like, do you know like how we can get... He says that? Yes. I thought he says this isn't fair. And he's like, fair's got nothing to do with it. That's part of it too. But the, the, but he it, says, but I'm building an yeah. extension. Like it, that, that, like that, that, that we get so obsessed yeah. with the things that we're doing that here in this life and death situation... Yeah, right. It's that like, that means no, it doesn't something. make sense. I'm still doing this other yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure whoever wrote the script got it from the E.B. White story. I wonder, yeah. It's too It's too on the nose. Are you sure it's that? It's extent? an extension on, because as soon as you said extension on the yeah. house, like, I know that reference. Yeah, yeah. And that's not what it's about with but in both cases it represents something like a small material action that seems important versus a bigger cosmic question yeah yeah you know um when you sort of misspoke there for a second and said cliff you know it you think about clint eastwood because i know you've said that before that can you believe that Clint Eastwood walks this earth? <laughs> like, yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, you know, the that guy from High Plains Drifter uh, and, um, you know, Dirty Harry, all those movies, but then trying to think of would he be the same person if that was his first name, Cliff? Uh, it is hard to imagine that being the same person, which makes me think that I'd run into Steve Coogan and Steve Coogan was, had just finished, you know, playing a role. And he said that day had been, you know, it'd been a fight scene and he'd kind of said, you know, the person, please don't hit me. And I was trying to imagine Clint Eastwood ever saying that in a movie, please don't hit me. Uh, I can't really imagine that. Uh, That's more of a Ric Flair line. (laughs) It's such a cowardly thing to say. I can certainly imagine one of my characters that I've played saying, please don't hit me. Uh, But uh, you can't imagine Clint Eastwood saying it. And in fact, when you have... Paul Newman say a version of that in Cool Hand Luke, it's a heartbreaking thing because it shows they've broken him when they kind of do that stuff like, you know, or they just keep him up for days and dig in a hole and then put the, what's your dirt doing uh, in Boss Hall, you know, Boss Hall's hole, get that dirt back out. And then finally it's like, please don't hit me anymore, please just, and and it's it's just heartbreaking uh, to see somebody broken um but um yeah uh i had that feeling with um i i went through a phase where i thought it'd be fun to learn to ride a horse yeah and um and i went with a friend a friend's girlfriend who you know a long time ago 25 years ago yeah um who was really into horses and i went with her to where to the stable where she rode and one of the horses escaped and one of the handlers was grabbed the escaped horse and he was whipping the horse. And I started thinking about the whole idea of breaking horses and I decided I didn't want to ride. Like it was too much, it was too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't even like sometimes, you know, when people will say, oh, you got a, your dog, you know, obedience school or learn. Like, I don't really want my dog heal, you know, those sorts of commands. Yeah. I don't really love when I see somebody with their dog, even if it is incredibly well-trained, I don't love seeing heal. And, uh, you know, I, I would rather... Uh, yeah, teach them, uh, you know, something else or have them. Um, yeah, I just don't kind of, yeah, that's not something I kind of want to see. Um, yeah. The other side of it, though, is like we see from exercising that like uh, having the discipline in a practice really feels good even though it's exactly. made you know like the doing of it we don't necessarily look forward to the doing of it all the time but what we get from the discipline of doing it feels really good yeah and um the uh and and, and maybe also to a dog you know they do sometimes want to learn something and want to you know or <laughs> maybe like everyone want to kind of accomplish something you know and I'm thinking also, somehow I started thinking about, well, you know, with my parents, it was, you know, kind of had to, uh, were big on manners, and then I sort of try to do the same thing um, with my kids. Well, is, you know, I think that's kind of a good thing, though, having, you know, good manners, but um, there is kind of an element to being a kid that... Uh, that I always remember in Last Tango in Paris in that scene where uh, Marlon Brando's with the girl and, you know, they're kind of just laying around and she's saying, and clearly his response, I, I think, must have just, you know, not been scripted. But she's talking about how beautiful and innocent it is being a child, which, of course, as an adult, you kind of look back on in that way, which isn't, you know, necessarily true. Uh, and so she says that thing that everyone just sort of accepts, kind of, yeah, beautiful, being an innocent child. But Brando says is it and he goes and she goes yes it's so kind of wonderful and he goes is it beautiful to be made into a tattletale or be forced to admire authority and there's a big element of being a kid that's that yeah. <laughs> you know certainly with school and stuff and uh you know it, it's probably us talking about breaking horses and yeah. you know that there is an element of that. Uh, and so, yeah, um, you know, breaking breaking everybody down so they'll kind of conform. How do you feel like your life would have been different if you never would have gone to any school? Um, I think that, I don't think that school is so important for, you know, what you learn because obviously, you know, it doesn't really stick with us, or certainly I don't remember anything from geometry, you know, cosine, you know, that type of stuff. You're not going to remember. I think what is really good, the school I went to in Dallas, I was around, you know, some, you know, smart kids and uh, 
funny kids, and I think that is very uh, valuable. And you know, yeah, just reading good books and stuff. So I, I think you know maybe not getting great grades and is so important and that maybe just because I didn't, but, uh, I think there is something, uh, the social aspect. Yeah. Being, being around because it goes back to making connections. So yeah. it, just being in some place where you can connect with people, I think is important. And so, uh, you know, however that is or wherever that is, then, uh, you know, I think that's kind of, uh, that's kind of good. Did you have a lot of friends at school or was it more like one or two? I had a lot of friends kind of as like a little kid and, uh, and then kind of into school. And then in college, uh, it was more just kind of a few. And, uh, but I think it is, that might also be, you know, what we kind of talked about earlier. It's easier, you know, to make friends when you're little, you're kind of more open and then, you know, I don't know what kind of happens, but as you get older, you get a little bit more sort of blocked off, uh, or you kind of have your Judgmental, friends. Judgmental, maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you're kind of, um, you just don't maybe extend yourself or other people don't, um, you know, in that way. What did you study in school? Um, I was a uh, English major in college, and um, I was reading something recently about how, you know, that that's like dying out, that major. There's an article about how, you know, it's dropped like 50% and they're kind of even getting rid of it. Wow. Um, and that everyone, I don't know, doing business and stuff. Uh, it seemed like it served you well, though, like literature. Yeah, I don't know. I really feel that, you know, I the stuff that I learned, uh, the books, I kind of learned it, it almost seems like by junior year. I don't really remember. I didn't have a, a great class in college uh, and, you know, with a teacher that like, well, that had a big impact on me. I did kind of when I was younger, but um, yeah, I don't know that I, you know, picked up that much in college that's an interesting thing the whole hit or miss teacher you know if you happen to be lucky to have one great teacher it changes everything yeah and so many of them we we don't get so much from yeah i think it's just like anything it's like you know go to the library bookstore you know how many books are you going to pick up that you love or you know tv shows or movies uh that you're really going to connect with and so yeah there's you don't you know, there aren't that many you know great teachers uh just like there's maybe not that many great anything uh really great uh and then also you know it's you can't maybe lay it all on the teacher sometimes it's where you are you're not necessarily mm -hmm. gonna be open uh or uh responding to somebody uh, but um and there's back to that kind of that you know brando thing there's an element of school that's about sort of being forced to admire authority like and following rules yeah that uh you can sort of see as kind of ridiculous or that you can kind of um you know butt heads against uh 
and uh, I, th you know, I think sometimes, yeah, you know, emotional intelligence is not going to be rewarded uh, in school the same way a kid who's like, okay, so you want me to do the problems like this, this, and this, and then hand it in, and you know, um, you know that that kid is going to do better than a kid that's. You know, yeah, parroting back. Yeah, parroting big. back. Yeah. Then the kid who you know is going to give a uh, colorful answer to a banal question, <laughs> touching off laughter among the other students. <laughs> <laughs> that kid is not going to be beloved like by the, teachers. It sounds like the introduction to your autobiography. <laughs> Well, I was just thinking of a kid uh, that um, the, the uh, history teacher also taught uh, was the baseball coach. And this is maybe in, you know, seventh grade when he'd turn around to write something <laughs> on the chalkboard. Uh, this kid, Chris, would stand up and do like a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> and the teacher would turn around real fast and <laughs> and just caught him this one time as he's sitting back down and um and uh the teacher's like um well uh Mr. Kaiser that's uh that's two strikes on you. Do you know what happens next? And Chris said, I don't know, sir, I don't follow baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Great line. I know. And the D and Mr. Bachelor exploded. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um yeah, I had a teacher that got, I remember, furious at me. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, you could see how, yeah, you could get on the nerves of some of these guys. Uh, <laughs> But there's also yeah. something, I think that's another fun thing about school. You're, we're talking about well, how would your life have been different. Well, you don't get a story like that unless yeah. you're in school yeah. in kind of an authoritarian place, you know. Mm -hmm. And I went to kind of like a progressive school, but the way stuff is set up, it is, you know, you're going to listen to this and you're going to be quiet now. And there is something in those situations that can be a good, you know, fertile ground for coming up with funny stuff. Remember how great it was when they would bring in the movie projector and show a movie oh, in class? It's the best feeling in the world, it's right? So much fun. Yeah. Even if it was bad, it was good. Exactly. I remember like, you know, when they were, or, or you know, saying on the radio, like snow days going through and this school's not meeting and this and waiting, you know, to see if your school is going to, you know, uh, if you're going to get the day off and just it's the best feeling in the world. And it's sort of like that, uh, you know, right. If every day that's also maybe something good sometimes about work is it makes you, you know, oh, it's all the weekend is a lot more fun. Uh, if you've had to work, uh, you know, the other days, uh, you appreciate it a lot more. I remember when I was a kid, I broke my leg skiing. Only The only time I've been skiing my whole life, I broke my leg. And, um, and I didn't have to go to school for like six weeks. And it was 
the greatest. It, it was, was just the best. And it you was, didn't hate school either, did you? No, but like not you, going to school and being able to watch TV during yeah, the day yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. What well, What do you think it it was? It's just like, um, I mean, to think about it. Showing up to anything is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Just showing up. Yeah. Which is why they say a lot of times hey, half just of life up. is just showing yeah. up. Yeah. There's a great thing. Uh, Russell Brand has this uh, an audio book. I think it's only available as an audio book. And he talks about being invited to something that sounds great. You know, in, in two months, two months from now, there's this event and you, it sounds great and you agree to do it. And then the two months come and it's the day of it and you're regretting it always. Yeah. And he, and he said a, a good thing that he does now is that anytime he gets invited to do anything in the future, he always thinks about it as if I have to go right now and do it. <laughs> Oh God! To, to weed out the reality yeah. of you know the because two months from now everything sounds good, right? I just had that, yeah, where I had kind of been asked about doing a commencement, and uh, and I'd been asked a couple times uh, years ago, and it kind of no, no, I, I chickened out, and this time when I was asked, I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it. And then as I really thought about in a couple months and I've got so I can't do that. But I did say, you know, if we could, you know, maybe plan ahead maybe next year. And and they said, yes, we'll do it next year. And I was, you know, so relieved. Great, you know, because it seems so far away. Yeah. But um I'm sure, you know, as I get up close, it'll be what was I thinking? Yeah. But sometimes it is good to make yourself do stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you get you surprised. You yeah, get surprised. right. So there is something to be said for being made to do something that you don't want to do. Absolutely. So t today being a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wonder also if, you know, you said you were a little bit like nervous in the beginning and maybe you picked up on me kind of, yeah. oh, I don't know if I really want to go do this. And I think part of the struggle is, you know, we talked about kind of connections is that, okay, so we've been friends for a long time and, you know, sometimes we can get on a roll where we're really having fun talking or really get laughing about something and that's great. And... I you yeah you'd love to be able to get that but then it just seems like too big a mountain to climb how are you ever going to get um you know be able to communicate uh some of those things to um to somebody and it just gets discouraging it to me it's like learning like another language like I'll think about um god I would love to be able to speak you know anything you know spanish french italian it would be so great uh and then i think about it was so hard for me to learn english and yeah. get all the you know because i think i do pay attention to language and you know when you kind of uh you know when you kind of get like a good word and uh the idea of starting over in a new language just seems like you know climbing mount everest and so maybe that was kind of uh, the the feeling like, um, you know, like, yeah, how are we ever in this sort of format 
going to talk get to where it feels just like talking in real life. Uh, and maybe that was sort of, you know, a little bit uh, of it. I don't know. Yeah, it might have been an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, right. It just is whatever it's going to be. Yeah, and yeah. any expectation you put on it is just gets in the way. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, can... I mean, we've had experiences where we're really laughing about something and uh, and the people around us are like, I don't know what they're talking about, but whatever it is, I guarantee it's stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, because I remember us, like, there was some, you know, right, going to eat, and there was some sort of miraculous <laughs> coincidence that had occurred to you that you relayed to me that I was just blown away by. Yeah. But our dinner companions, they didn't seem to think it was much of anything. It was Nonplussed. Just, yeah, <laughs> nonplussed to the extreme. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, that's a really funny thing too like seeing something so funny and someone else doesn't see it at all there's something really funny about that too yeah about it, the the miscommunication or the not the getting miscommunication it. And, and not being understood or, or failing uh yeah there's something uh yeah that's i think that can be uh that's really but and and I think that it, it, because it kind of can tap into sometimes that futility that we all sort of can you know sometimes um, get hit with that kind of Sisyphean sort of yeah. you know uh, what's the you know, what are we <laughs> yeah doing? we lost the race a thousand yeah, years right, ago exactly and uh, but then when you're able to you know. Um, I don't know. I, I do. I think that is kind of a, another nice thing about um, the way that they have kind of uh, the game rigged is that failure can be really funny. And yeah. uh, and uh, luckily, yeah. Well, we had that experience together where we went to a meeting at a, a big company yeah. talking about an idea that we were excited about and uh, was not well met. no. <laughs> Not only that, we going into the meeting, uh, I don't want to say it was a case of, you know, Icarus, but we really felt, you know, we had another person with us for the meeting and that this was, they are going to be kind of blown away Absolutely. by these ideas that so we had really I thought they high. weren't going to let us out of the office. They I were just going like, to hold us there to keep working on first it. First of all, just when we showed up, I thought they were going to rush down to greet us, which yeah. didn't happen. Re yeah, they, I thought they, they were going to roll waiting. out the red carpet. <laughs> yeah. How long? You said, we, did we wait about an hour? <laughs> it felt like we, they kept us waiting for like an hour and just all my confidence just disappeared. You know, you also know? the place where we were waiting... The feeling was it was closed. It, like I felt like they invited us there before, like an hour before they actually opened. Yeah, felt, remember? Yes. It was, it was like a, and it was like a hospital. Like a, there was like nobody it was like, there, and it was very white and minimalist, and it, it was it was really like that. Uh, we were in a cavernous space with yeah, no people nobody. for a long time, for an eternity. Yeah, yeah, and then kind of. Uh, there's that uh, Fitzgerald thing that he wrote about 
visiting his wife who had kind of lost her mind. And he said, I lost my small capacity for hope on, on the small roads leading to Zelda's sanitarium. And I felt that we lost our small <laughs> capacity for hope in that waiting room yeah. that day. And, uh, and then we go into the meeting and... Even before the meeting, we were walking into the meeting and you shared a very funny story of something that just happened that to you. That you prompted me to share that I didn't believe was going to land well with <laughs> with these executives. And I was right. You were right. It didn't land. No. In this, fact, they took the other side yeah. of like um, an argument that I had had. <laughs> and, uh, and then we go into the meeting and... Um, I, I I maybe said a couple sentences and then I just sort of faded away. And I don't think you said I just shut down. Yeah. I, I don't think I said anything. No. And I your could eyes see, got all glassy too. Yeah, it was just bombing. <laughs> and uh and then you I think were barefoot. Yeah. Uh and so I also, you know, was thinking like, what were we thinking? Like how, how could we think that we could come in here and you know uh, we've got no business in here we don't belong here and uh luckily um the other guy with us did kind of you know kept talking and he we actually felt say, it went great we should afterwards. say the third guy with us who was experienced yeah versus us i believe was wearing pajamas <laughs> <laughs> And maybe like a fez cap yeah, or something. That was a, I don't know. Maybe the pajamas were a bad sign. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, again, that's, you know, I, I've, you know, been in pitch meetings, you know, a lot over the years. And that continues to be one of uh, my, you know, most memorable. And it couldn't have gone worse, but. Uh, like we were saying, there's something kind of funny about yeah, really whiff, failing. With yeah, again, it's like you're swinging and nobody even pitched. Yeah, it's just like a, swinging at the wind. A thousand years behind, <laughs> running a race that ended a thousand years ago, running your heart out, uh, not realizing that you'd been lapped a million times. That was incredible. The um, but tell me about your mom when you were a kid. Oh um, yeah, do you ever go to her photo shoots? Yeah, well I did because when she was working um, with Richard Avedon on the In the American West project, that went on for ten years. Where wow. you know they'd go out for you know weeks at a time to you know different places in the West and rodeos and uh, you know just visiting different places um to find people to photograph so a couple summers i went with them uh when i was a kid and uh yeah um but i mean i yeah i mean my mom right my mom's a photographer and uh you know i kind of associate with interrupting you a lot you know when you're playing or doing something to take a picture so didn't love having uh, my picture taken. I still don't love uh, love it, but um, yeah. Uh, Do you get to meet Avedon? Yeah, I mean, I got to meet him uh, 
I got to meet him a ton uh, because what was he like? Uh, he was he had a lot of kind of enthusiasm and uh, you know kind of uh, energy and uh, he's also kind of cool looking guy and so when you know I don't know how he dressed in New York but when he came out for these he had you know boots that he wore and a cowboy hat. Uh, but uh, not like a big cowboy hat, kind of more like one of those LBJ color uh, and size. And, um, and so he kind of looked cool. And then uh, I, he loved uh, those Louis L'Amour Westerns that I read a ton of. And so uh, he would send me those and, uh, you know, boxes of them. Uh, and so, uh, we kind of connected over that and he even sent me War and Peace, uh, which I still haven't read, but along with all these Louis L'Amour Westerns, and this is probably when I'm like 12 with a note saying, uh, you know, this is a book that I love and, you know, it might be, you know, advanced for you now, but maybe at some point, uh, you'll, um, you know, want to take a look at it. But yeah, so we kind of, uh, yeah, I really liked him. Um, and uh, he did, uh, yeah, he did some photographs of, uh, of me and my brothers that my parents were really excited because, you know, it's Avedon and, uh, you know, he'd been on the cover of Newsweek and, uh, the idea that he was going to do these uh, portraits of us uh, was like a big deal. And I remember he sent them to us for Christmas, and my parents were kind of excited. And when they kind of opened them, the pictures were a little bit sort of in that mode of in the American West. It wasn't the same kind of photographs that my mom did of us, you know, for Christmas cards and what she tried to show, which was maybe this sort of, you know, idealized version of kind of boys like, you know, having fun and this and his pictures were a little bit more kind of unusual. And, uh, and then later when, you know, we started getting into trouble, uh, as teenagers and stuff, my dad would kind of think back to those Avedon photographs and say, that's what made Avedon a genius. He could see what was coming with you guys. <laughs> that's great. Because <laughs> he wasn't showing us as these kind of... You know, Fun-loving. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but, um, yeah... You know, uh, what was your relationship with your dad like when you were a kid? You know, it's hard to kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I came across like a note that my mom wrote my aunt and she's talking and, you know, I must be really little because Luke's not born yet, but she's talking about my older brother and me and uh, she's saying, uh Owen, and, and so I'm probably like two or three, you know, maybe just turning three. And she said, uh, Owen has a very, uh, idolizes Bobby, uh, my dad, and has a very zany sense of humor and doesn't like having uh, the same books read to him twice, which is kind of funny because it does seem like kids like having the repetition. Absolutely. 
Um, but um, so when you ask the relationship with my dad, I think I did kind of idolize my dad. Uh, but I think both my brothers did. Also, he just was really funny. Uh, no, also, you know, you kind of were, you know, nerve. You didn't want to like, you know, step out of line too much. Um, but just a really, um, I don't know, just a great guy. So if something was bothering you, if something happened to you, um, you'd. My dad was a great person to talk to, I think, because he was like a sensitive, kind person, which, you know, which didn't mean he was like a pushover at all, uh, you know. And so that's what I mean about sort of expecting you to sort of, you know, have good manners and, you know, behave in, in, in uh, a thoughtful way also. Uh, but um, I think a, a big thing was also my dad's friends. He had these great friends that... I, I just thought were uh, really, you know, funny kind of uh, charismatic guys. So kind of sitting there at dinner and kind of seeing my dad with his friends and seeing them kind of joke around, I think that had a big uh, influence on us. And, um, yeah. I remember there was a story where you had a job when you were a kid and – you thought that if you could make them believe that you weren't that smart, they would give you less work to do. Yeah, I think that's continued a little bit in <laughs> in sort of uh, life and in my career, lowering expectations, which is you know what we're talking about doing better when you know when you kind of there's less pressure. And so in this job, I was a runner uh, in college at a law firm and. Uh, they'd send me out to, you know, go pick up something and bring it there and get something and come back with it. And um, I'd always kind of, you know, you know, make them kind of explain it a couple times. And uh, usually when I was out doing it, I might stop by the magazine stand and kind of read for a while. And anytime, anyway, <laughs> one time I'm coming back into the office through the back door and I hear uh, the uh, assistants uh, and secretaries talking and and one is saying, he's just so stupid. Like you, you tell him something like he's like, uh, wait, so you want me to go down that street and then go right? <laughs> and, and her imitation of me was so dumb sounding, made me sound like, you know, <laughs> you know, Lenny from a Mice and Men that uh, I, even though that had been, you know, what I was trying to do with lowering expectations, uh, I was still, my feelings were hurt when I came in and heard this imitation and um, and my pride was such that I quit the job on the spot. So <laughs> it's so funny because you were purposely trying to make them think you weren't smart enough to do much. Right. And they yeah, believed, they believed it, it. And you quit based on them thinking you weren't smart enough. Right. <laughs> Amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you always uh, always like hanging out in bookstores, even as a kid? 
Yeah, I mean, I remember, um, you know, we were talking about my mom being a photographer and she had some photography books come out and my dad did some books, but my dad kind of being in advertising and public relations, he would go up to the bookstore and always be kind of, you know, on them about displaying my mom's book in such a way. Um, and I just always remember as a kid, I even remember, yeah, the names of the bookstores. Um, I just always loved going to bookstores. Well, because they usually also had magazines too, so that was fun to see. But even as a little kid going up to my grandmother's, there was something called the Bookmobile mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of like... We had you know, that too. You did? Yeah. yeah. So I remember Great. going into that and uh, getting books. And um, yeah, I just... Uh, I, I loved uh, reading, and it wasn't anything, uh, you know, like for school or anything. It was just whatever just, you were interested in. Yeah, Me too. Just I used loved. to go to the library all the time as a kid. It was my favorite place to go. I yeah. don't I don't remember that there being a bookstore in my little town when I was growing up, but the library I would go to all the time and just... Um, Anything that I was interested in, I would stay all day and either read the books on the subject I was interested in or, or get like um, microfilm of old yeah. either newspaper articles or it was just so interesting that idea of being able to like go back in history and look at something that happened 50 years ago. Yeah. Just interesting how it was reported. Well, it's kind of flip for me because you're talking about, you know, subjects you were interested in. So as a kid, I was just reading fiction. So it was any mm. sort of, you know, I love these, The Great Brain, that those series of books and uh, Hardy Boys. Encyclopedia Brown, we talked about. Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the Louis L'Amour Westerns, those yeah. S.E. Hinton books. Um, but, uh, and then there are a lot of these sports books about like a kid dealing with something. Uh, I think it's Matt Christopher was that author so they're just like kind of kids books uh, that that i loved reading uh hardy boys yeah the hardy boys i had all those uh, i love those and their chum chet the jalopy <laughs> um but uh and that's actually fun you know, now with uh, with my two boys is reading stories to them. I haven't noticed, you know, either of them, you know, reads on their own the way I do, but they do like still uh, having me read at night or make up stories. But, you know, we read Shane. That was something I read in seventh grade that I loved. They were really into that. Uh, they were, were, you know, on Treasure Island now. Uh, and, uh, and those books hold up, they're good. But anyway, I was talking about how the way it kind of flips. So yeah, as like a kid, I loved reading, uh, you know, those, and then sort of in college, I kind of, it was then sort of reading about something I was interested in. So, you know, I could have a paper on, uh, you know, the Berlin airlift and I'd go to the library and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, every subject, but that was really interesting. So a history of backgammon. Let me read about that. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that, and you could just spend so much time in it. Um, I don't know. It's also probably, you know, I think that's a nice thing about museums, people quiet, looking at things. 
maybe even the people that you meet there, there's usually a quiet, gentleness to the people that's nice uh, to be around. And uh, I think that can be relaxing. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Should we go eat? Yeah. It's a great doing this. Yeah. Fun.